podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Well, it's just about still good morning. Uh, it's great, so great to be with you this weekend. And uh, before we dive into God's word this morning, I just would love to infuse you um, with the, the organization I work for and invite you to do something really important. Um, and that is that if you're not already an, a personal member of the Evangelical Alliance, I'd love to, you to invite you to become one um, and, uh, and ask you that you join us this morning. Let me tell you um, what that is and why that matters. Well, first of all, you might ask, what's an evangelical? Well, an evangelical is a good news person in a bad news world. The Greek word is evangel, and, and, and it, from that we get good news. We are good news people. What else? Well, evangelicals are people of the Bible. We don't change the words of God to accommodate our culture. We want to see our culture transformed with the word of God. Secondly, we're people of Jesus. We believe that his life and his death and his resurrection was the most important moment in the whole of human history. That he's our God, but he's also our friend. Thirdly, we're people of conversion. We believe that the most important decision anyone can ever make is to choose to follow Jesus or not. So we want to see every single person in the UK come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And fourthly, evangelicals are people of activism. We want to see the world become more like the kingdom. That's why it was evangelicals who were at the forefront of the abolition of the slave trade. More recently, that's looked like Christians Against Poverty, food banks, street pastors, whatever we can do to bring hope to the hopeless. And who we are, we're we're an alliance of evangelicals. Why? Because Jesus' prayer for his church is that we might be one. So what we do is that we bring together evangelicals from across denominations, streams, backgrounds, ethnicities, and stories. So that we might be the answer for Jesus' prayer, that we might be the united church, because we're better together. And so my encouragement to you this morning is, is if, that, if you are a good news person in the bad news world, and, and you believe that, that we want to see a united church, I'd just love to invite you to join us. And, and because we're an alliance of evangelicals, with, we are with, with tens of thousands of individuals, thousands of churches, hundreds of organizations. And we've existed since 1846 to do two really simple things. First of all, we want to see every single person come to know Jesus. So we equip and inspire the church to make that happen. That's kind of my bit within that. But also we exist to try and speak up at the highest levels of government on issues that really matter to Christians. Why? Because if we don't on behalf of everyone, who will? So during the pandemic, we were telling the story of what churches like yours were doing to make a difference in communities. We also speak up on really important issues like free speech. Why? Because it shouldn't be a hate crime to declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. An example of that is that there was a bill going through Parliament recently that would have enabled Ofsted to come into every Sunday school and youth group in the country and essentially vet what was being said. We thought that sounded more like North Korea or Saudi Arabia than the UK, governmental control of private religion. So we spoke up on behalf of Christians. And because of the strength of our membership, the government had to listen. And as a result, that that bill was kicked into touch for the time being. Isn't that good news? But here's where we need your help and humbly and desperately would like to ask you for it. The strength of our voice depends on the strength of our membership. And when the government asks us how many members do you have, we have to give an answer. And so if you're able to join us as a personal member today, it really makes a difference in terms of people coming to know Jesus, but also in terms of the strength of our voice in government. So if you're able to join us after uh, this session, we'd love to give you a little form. There's a few bits in there. If you can fill those in um, and bring that back to me today, um, it costs just £3 a month. If you're part of a couple, you can tick the box that says join as a couple, and we get to speak on behalf of both of you. And um, just as a little thank you, we'd love to give you a few things um, just to say thank you. 
Um, the first is, um, you might have got it already, but you can have your fiver back. Um, I'd love to give you a copy of The Best of Friends just as a little kind of welcome gift to say thank you. Um, secondly, I would love to give you a copy of this. It's called Speak Up. It's a little booklet that tells you your rights and responsibilities when sharing your faith um, in the workplace and with those around you. I think we often live in a world that, that, that say you can't share your faith at work. You can. You just can't abuse a, a position of authority over an employer. Many people might say, you, you know, you, we live in a culture where you can't wear a cross at work. You can. You just can't wear one that's life-size because it's a health and safety hazard. <laughs> Would love to give you a copy of that. This was actually held up in, in the House of Parliament as, as a model of excellence for, how, for religious liberty. So we'd love to give you a copy of that. And finally, and I recognize for some of you, this might swing the deal. Love to give you, if you join us today, an Evangelical Alliance key ring. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's got on the end of it one of those detachable pound coins that you can use in those posh supermarkets and when you go to the gym. All I would ask, all I would ask is that when you, when you use this, would you pray for us? I still, I get photo messages at least once a week from friends who are in Aldi with their, tr with their, with their trolley coin in their trolley saying, what can I pray for you for today? Please pray for us because it's a really contested space at the moment for Christians. But we also believe there's a real spiritual hunger in our nation that we want to see God's kingdom come and will be done. So if you're able to join us, please come and see me um, after, uh, just before lunch and after this session. The next thing I want to do is I just, um, just want to honor some friends. So um, Ness, would you like to stand up? And Rich, you around? Um, Rich and Ness, will you stand up? Um, guys, I just, just felt this morning, I just wanted to honor Rich and Ness as, as your leaders and just... Love you guys, just want to honor you. You do an extraordinary job just stepping into this environment this weekend. You see the culture that you've created. It's extraordinary, it's beautiful, and it's really difficult being a church leader. So I wonder if you might turn towards these guys and just give them a round of applause. I know they're part of a team. God bless you. A huge part of my job is, is standing alongside supporting and encouraging church leaders. It's so hard for me. So would you do me a favor, not just today, but in the, in the, in the days, weeks, months ahead, would you keep trying to encourage those in leadership around you? I, I know you're that kind of church already because I've experienced it this weekend. But those, not just Richard Ness, but the whole of the leadership team, and, and I've noticed even this morning, you all get to play, don't you, which is amazing. But in the days ahead, would you keep encouraging Richard Ness and the rest of the team? It's really hard being a church leader. So thank you for all you do to do that already. But please press on um, within that. Um, let's pray, shall we, uh, that God would speak to us this morning uh, before we open God's word. Father, we love you. I, I, it's been just incredible to spend time together this weekend. I felt so at home. Lord, we've built relationships this weekend that are important. You've spoken truth into our life that's been really significant. And in this moment, we open our hearts to hear from you today. We pray that you would finish what you've started. Lord, we don't want to leave until that's done. And as we step into this season of open doors for open heavens, your spirit speak to us today we pray in Jesus name amen my starting point for this morning um, is uh, 
that ministry is hard. The battle is hard. The, uh, the New Testament images for ministry are that of a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. Three professions that, that are hard work, require discipline and training and graft. And so often, ministry is the most disappointing thing to be involved in. I'm running Alpha at the moment in my church. On Tuesday nights, in a couple of days' time, I will be stood at the back of church welcoming people into our Alpha course. Thrilled to hear that you're doing it too and praying for you. But every week, you, there, is jo- there are joyful moments when people come who've been invited, but there are also heartbreaking moments when you look down the drive and, and the people who were there last week or the people you've invited don't turn up. When I was a student, we ran Student Alpha, and uh, in the early days of Fusion, it was a really beautiful time, and, and we ran Student Alpha, and, and I was really excited. As a, as a first-year student, I, I invited every single person on my corridor to come to Student Alpha. I really made an effort. I got a card out, I invited everybody, I knocked on every door, and 24 people on my corridor I invited. It was really exciting. I was, so, I was even more enthusiastic then than I am now. And I said, do you want to come along? And 22 people said they'd come. On the first night, four came. Two left halfway through. And no one came back to a second week. Ministry is graft. It's full of disappointment, full of discouragement. And there are no silver bullets. There are no quick fixes. There are no magic words. I was reminded uh, last night, I think it was Rich who said, that there are no magic words. You know, come Holy Spirit. They're not magic words. I was reminded of a moment when I was on a, a ferry on the way to France um, at the beginning of a half term. And, and um, on this ferry on the way to France, there's a load of Christian families who go to something called Spring Harvest Holidays. Spring Harvest in the UK is at Butlins. Spring Harvest Holidays in France is phenomenal. There's like cafes and croissants and a bar. It's fabulous. And um, loads of Christians get on this ferry of the first week of May half term. because It's a proper deal. I promise you I'm not a rep for them, but it's great fun. And um, loads of Christians are on this ferry. And then, uh, as you're on the ferry, there's, lo- there's like children's entertainment. And all the parents kind of sit back and the kids get entertained. And there was this one particular May half term, there was a, a, a magician. And um, he doesn't know that half the kids in the audience are proper Christian kids. He's about to find that out, but he doesn't know. And he's kind of doing this first trick. And he kind of, he's kind of got the, the hat and the rabbit and the wand and tissues. And it's great fun. And then he, he makes the cardinal sin of wandering out into the audience and says, Right it, kids. Are we ready for a trick? And everyone's like, yeah. And they, they're, they're a little bit confused because maybe in their head they're thinking this is the beginning of Sunday school. But then the, what happens is he wades and he says, right, kids, what are the magic words? And this poor little Christian boy has the microphone thrust into his face. This is absolutely true. He says, uh, uh, um, come Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm, I think the, the, the magician was a bit freaked out. Come Holy Spirit are not magic words. And there are no silver bullets when it comes to ministries. When, to, 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 when it comes to, to opening doors, there are no magic words. But as I was praying for you, as I, as I asked the question, Lord, what, what are the images, what are the, the pictures that you want to give? The, the first one was, was that which I shared yesterday of a, of a rusty combination lock, that open hearts and teamwork, that the relationships within your church family and the relationships that you open your heart into your community would, would open this rusty lock to open the door. But the second image was of uh, 
a couple of master keys. I had this picture in my hand of these two master keys of our church building. Um, has a couple of master keys, and they open most doors um, in, in, the, in the building. And as I prayed into that, I felt the Lord draw me to two uh, principles that are not magic. They require hard work. But for you this morning, prayer and place are master keys that God wants to put in your hand to open the doors in front of you, that they might remain open for a place. And uh, to lead us into that, we're going to read from Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 15. And Lucas is going to read that for us. Lucas, where are you? Give Lucas a round of applause. Thanks, mate. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pragia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they traveled... They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Taurus. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Taurus, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city in the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river, and we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to a woman, the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira? <laughs> Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to, response, to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of our household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer of the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Thanks, Lucas. Beautiful. So as, I didn't prep Lucas to do that, but as Lucas so beautifully demonstrated, there were lots of places in that reading with lots of long words. Um, and uh, the first thing that's really significant is that the places are mentioned. God cares about place. On this journey in Acts, the places are significant. Paul travels through, through Phrygia and Galatia. The route would have taken him through different places of different people, of backgrounds and stories, ethnicities and wealth. And then what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit prevents them from going where they think they're going and instead calls them to Macedonia. We see uh, in, um, in verse 9, there's a, the vision of the man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help him. God cares about where these guys are called. And then they sail from Troas, verse 11, through Neapolis, and end up in Philippi. And if you know your New Testament, you'll know that Philippi is really significant, that years down the line, a, a, a letter is written to the church in Philippi, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible, because it's got Phil written at the very beginning on a very superficial level. But once again, this place is significant. When they arrive in Philippi, verse 13, 
they find themselves outside the city gate, down by the river, and are led not only to a place, but in verse 13, a place of prayer. And that's where they meet Lydia. And the conversion of Lydia is a really important moment in the start of this church in Philippi. And so my first encouragement to you is to throw yourself into the stories of your place. There's a beautiful missiological principle that missionaries, whenever they would go anywhere, they would find out the stories of the place. Some, some missionaries, when they would travel abroad, would spend up to seven years not doing any evangelism, but just listening, learning the language, learning the stories, learning the best ways to communicate the gospel in that place. There's this beautiful, almost untranslatable Gallic concept called terroir. Let me hear you say terroir. Beautiful. I promise you the theme is not just French wine, but we will get there because this terroir is, is almost exclusively applied to wine, to, to coffee, to anything organic, that kind of beautiful, chic thing that you find on the high streets. If there's this kind of somewhere-ness, the story behind the, the product, the, the unmistakable signature behind something. When you tell a story behind a, a product, a, a, a taste, it adds value. No one wants a wine without a terroir. It's a disincarnate wine. And our faith has a terroir. It's placed somewhere. Place is significant. The story of your place is significant. My encouragement to you for where you live, your streets, your, your community, your town, to find out the stories behind it. There's a master key in place. Places have a, a somewhereness, a culture that God calls us to, to inhabit, to get to know. I found out uh, the story of a, of a Yemeni shopkeeper in America. And he is, he is a, I guess, in some ways, a missionary who's trying to get to know the culture where he is. And, and he apparently can tell that U.S. Americans don't trust him because they offer to pay him there and then. And in his culture, there is trust built through debt. Debt forges a relationship in, in credit. So you go into debt to demonstrate trust. He is someone of one story who's ended up in another story and he's trying to understand the story of where he lives. And my encouragement to you today is to understand the stories of the streets and the communities where you live. Place is deeply important to God. And he has created the world with, with stories of places. The, the Bible begins in a garden, ends in a garden city, and between it, God encounters people in orchards and vineyards, gardens, mountains, Fields, forests, if you take out the gardens, Eden and Gethsemane, the mountains, Sinai, Hermon, Nebo, Ararat, Carmel, Olives and Zion, you take some of the heart, some of the terroir of scripture away. Your place has a story. Part of the master key for you to open the door for your next chapter as a church will be to understand more and listen well. Because the story is always evolving as well. I want to urge you to be great listeners. Pentecost is as much about the gift of ears as it is the gift of tongues. Let me give you an example from where we live. I was sharing on the first night with Rich and Ness a bit of the story of our church community. 
um, the story, the recent story of our church community is that uh, my, I mentioned yesterday my, my parents moved to uh, Quinton in Birmingham when I was uh, uh, three years old. And um, uh, when we moved there, the vicar had been there a matter of months. And he walked into this community which had a, a gang who dominated and oppressed that community through crime and drugs. The, uh, the gang met just outside the church, and they uh, would openly have sex on the lawn outside the church, would deal drugs. He had to walk his daughter um, down to the end of the drive to put her in a taxi to get out to school so she wouldn't be attacked. And, and it was a horrendous time, and the vicar basically arrived in this, in this vicarage and said, I'm gonna, said, Lord, you've got, to, you've got to change this situation. You've got to do something, otherwise we are gone. We can't continue ministering in this place. And so there were miraculous stories of waking in the middle of the night, of having visions and, and, and praying, doing battles with the powers and principalities, hearing the story of what was going on, but doing battle against the powers and principalities within this context. And then what was incredible is a miracle happened. This gang had existed for decades. And within a few weeks of the battle that the vicar and his wife and gathering a few people to pray, this gang completely dispersed to the mystery of the police. And then at the same time, people in the community began to turn up at the church and say that they'd seen angels. Loved the word this morning from Miles about angels. I believe in angels. And these angels looked terrifying to people. They looked like samurai warriors. And we don't know what happened. One day we hope to meet a reformed gang member who tells us that they saw some really scary flipping angels. But we think there was something that happened that changed in the story. But what's happened is that that story has become part of our DNA as a church and as a community. Tapped into this story of what God has done and what God is doing. Hold on to the story. When things happen in your church, write them down, remember them. Remember the faithfulness of God, but also... Find out what is happening in the story of your town and your, and your community. A few years ago, it was our church's birthday. And so we decided to tell a bit of the story of the angels to those who hadn't quite heard it yet. And uh, we were sat in a, in a uh, I'm sitting on a little mission group in our church. And we were like, let's have a crazy idea that might bless where we are, but also begin to make a difference. And so we, we thought, what could we could we make a thousand angels? Could we knit and make out of Lego and wood a thousand angels? Um, and so we kind of took this idea to the church and people went, yeah, let's do it. So one, in, in, on a May evening, um, a bunch of us, I think the youngest was like 16, the oldest was like 86. We went out with a thousand angels, like the ones on the screen behind, and we kind of distributed them across our community. And they had a little tag on them saying, you are loved. And a little link to a website, www.angelsonthewalls.com, which we bought for the purposes of this um, extravaganza. And we put them out, and it was, it was this, uh, this amazing moment. And what was even more amazing, God just totally knew what he was doing, because um, the, 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 the next morning, if you have the next screen up, please, loads of people in our community um, went out on Facebook. All of these people aren't Christians, and they were just, they, they, they saw, the, saw these angels, and, and God spoke to them through the angels. What was even more extraordinary, you'll see, um, uh, a reference and the first message to a guy called Kieran. And what happened to Kieran was, tragically, two weeks before we put out the angels, we'd been planning this initiative for over a year. Two weeks before this teenage lad, 19 years old, um, was stabbed to death on our streets. His funeral 
was to die. The angels arrived. Isn't that amazing? God knew. Listen to the story of where you are. There's something about place. Listen to the story of your place. Do you know off the back of that as well, we had people turn up to Alpha. We had people join our toddler group. People have become part of our church and, and been strengthened as a result of this angel moment. So first of all, listen to the story of your place. The second aspect of this key of place I felt I wanted to encourage you in is to commit to the people of your place. I think God does call us to place, but I think God also calls us to people. And there's a beautiful picture of the church in this chapter. So we have in, uh, in Lydia a really wealthy, uh, connected businesswoman. She is a, the, 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 the purple cloth that she deals in is a luxury good. Then we have in verse 16, um, Paul and Silas get put into prison and they encounter a slave girl. So she is, if you've got Lydia at one end of the socioeconomic spectrum, you've got this slave girl at the other end. And then you have this, the conversion halfway through that next, that next paragraph of, of, the, of the jailer. And the jailer's probably kind of more middle class. So you've got this beautiful picture in, in Act 16 of the gospel being for everyone at every level of the socioeconomic spectrum. And I wonder, as I was reflecting on that, for you as a church, whether the Lord wants to, a bit like the open hearts message yesterday, wants to open your hearts, not just for, for one part of the socioeconomic spectrum, but for every level, for the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich in your town. Something about place and people to whom you're called. And within that as well, in terms of being committed to a place, there are some people who are Paul's. Some people are called to lots of different places, but some people are Lydia's. And Lydia is called to stay. And I believe, as I was writing this, this is for some people today. Sometimes the most significant thing you can do with your life is commit to stay in a location. Commit to the people. We have never been more transient as a world. And I think God is, maybe for some of you, there's, there's a, a job offer or there's something in front of you that might cause you to move from your church and your place. And that might be right. But I do believe for some of you, God is calling you to commit to this church, to your streets, to this place. One of my friends uh, is called Dave. We've all got a mate called Dave, haven't we? And uh, my mate Dave, he's from the West Midlands, speaks a bit like this. And I've been trying to help Dave come to know Jesus for a really long time. And Dave is one of these people who doesn't know Jesus yet, and he's constantly looking for, for the next thing. He moves around constantly. He hasn't found the place. He, he, he desperately needs to commit to somewhere. And I think he's so, so symptomatic of our culture. He even applies it to faith. I was once talking to, to Dave. I've earned the right over 20 years of friendship with Dave to talk to him about Jesus. And um, he, he, at one point, he was pouring his heart out to me, and he said, Phil, my life's such a mess. What shall I do? And I was a bit exasperated, and I, and I said, Dave, I have no human wisdom for you. The best thing you can do is give your life to Jesus and let him sort it out. In that moment, I was praying that he might get down on his knees and say, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> Instead, this is absolutely true. He said, what's the second best option? 
Don't live in the second best option for your life. Don't be like Dave. Be like Lydia. Sometimes the most significant thing you can do is to commit to your place. Because so often we, we've allowed ourselves not to be bound to a place, to a particular community. We live outside and, and unencumbered from the, the web of life that binds us together or would bind us together if we just stayed put. We have prized duty-free friendships over obligatory ones simply because they are cheaper and require less of us. And Jesus gives us a place, a place to commit to. And, and the impact of you staying on those lives around you might be really significant. My wife and I felt really called when we were uh, married to, to move into a house. And um, we, for many years, we did youth ministry outside of our house and um, had these bunch of lads who would come and hang out outside our our house and chill in our porch and sometimes sit in our car because we didn't have parents so we couldn't necessarily invite them into our home and we got to know these lads and um, they, um, they, they, they were committed to place to the extent that, if we can have the next slide please, um, they um, carved their names into our garage door and, and then denied it was them, good one lads. And so this is jo Joe who wrote his name into our garage door uh, a few years ago. But there's something about longevity in place that then means that you build relationships that become catalytic for the gospel. And certainly where we live, there's some people won't trust you until you've been there for a really long time. And what's beautiful is then my best mate's a builder, and uh, he uh, runs a um, business uh, working for a building company called Jericho. Now, I've, I've never thought it's a good name for a building company. Um, <laughs> but apparently they're about bringing down the walls for people to get into employment. But uh, again... I mean, fortunately, we live in a biblically literate age, so I think with their secular customs, it's fine. Jericho, never cool. But anyway, so, so as at then point, when Joe became a, a, a young adult, he employed Joe. And if the next slide up, please. We, um, Adam is on the guy on the left, uh, Joe's on the right. We became really middle-aged and middle-class and decided to convert our garage. So we had this moment where we took off the garage door that, our, that these lads, that Joe himself had graffitied. And he was the one who, years down the line, took off the garage door that he graffitied as part of the renovation process within our house. Isn't that beautiful? Would you pray for Joe this morning? Because Joe's um, doing Alpha with us at the moment. And um, he's, he, God has put a Christian friend in his life. And, and I invited Joe and his friend Isaac along to Alpha, and they've started coming. Um, and then the enemy just got in a bit last weekend, because on the Monday night before Alpha on Tuesday, Joe broke his ankle playing football. So like, get lost, devil. Um, so pray that Joe turns up on Tuesday, and uh, we're praying that actually that longevity of ministry, that longevity of relationship leads to wonderful things. Commit to the place around you. So be a people of place. Be a people of terroir. Understand the stories. And sometimes the most significant thing you can do is commit to place. But the second key is prayer. If you've got a Bible, would love you to turn with me to uh, Colossians chapter 4. And um, I want to read to you one of my favorite passages of scripture about evangelism. Colossians 4, 2 to 6 says this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's a really dangerous prayer to pray that God would open a door. And as I spent time with you this weekend, I can see that you are a passionate church, ready to pray dangerous prayers, to say, God, would you open a door? But we need to be committed to the spiritual battle in which we're engaged. Prayer is the second master key to open the door through which you need to step. And the reason I I think I was drawn to prayer is that I really do believe there is an extraordinary spiritual openness in our world at the moment. I think people are really hungry for hope. I've seen that all over the place. During the, um, during the pandemic, I was a really frustrated evangelist. I couldn't get out. And uh, one of the things I did was I, was I found myself working from home, eating more, um, and I decided I could either eat less or run more. So I decided to run more. And as I ran, I felt God, I had someone, in fact, amazingly, someone had a dream for me. And tech, I'd met this person like twice before. They just texted me saying they'd had a dream about me and said that, that I, w- I was going to have uh, moments of encounter with strangers. And so I was kind of praying, praying about that one morning as I was running. And that morning just felt God, as I, as I passed someone, to say, you need to go and pray for that person. Now, now hear me right on this. I'm not always obedient in that situation. I all, often will bottle it and say no, but... But that first moment, I, I, I got chatting um, to this guy, and um, he had cancer and was on crutches, and we prayed for healing for him, and then developed a relationship with him, and, and gave him a Bible, and, and, and got to know him a bit. And, and then since that moment, God gave me a really fresh confidence, and I kind of, what I developed was a kind of, I, I, I realized for my own confidence, I needed to kind of work out what I was going to say. So I kind of, as I'm running and sweating and look a bit intimidating, I kind of kind of still myself down and feel drawn to someone. I say, I'm really sorry to bother you. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And as I run, I pray for people. Is there anything I can pray for you today? And over the last three years, I, I've lost count of the number of people I've prayed for. I've also bottled a lot. But only two people have ever said no. And there have been some extraordinary, really funny encounters but also some beautiful encounters. Everyone's really grateful. Pray for someone just last week who just was blown away. They just were like, what, what are you doing again? Prayed for this uh, couple one morning who, uh, it was about 7.30 in the morning. He was already on the lager. And uh, so I prayed for, prayed for this couple. And, um, and then he said, is there anything? That, <laughs> then he said, and what can I pray for you? I said, wow, but it's the only time that's ever happened. And so I said, I, said, I can't remember what I said. But, but then, so then he goes, all right. And what came out of his mouth was hardly the book of common prayer, let's say. But it was beautiful and a moment of connection. I say that to illustrate there's just, I think there's a real openness at the moment. So my encouragement to you is to pray for your community, pray for your friends. The great theologian D.L. Moody had a list of 100 people who he prayed for to come to faith in his lifetime. While he was alive, 96 came to faith. And the final four became Christians at his funeral. Write a list of people to pray for. These are the keys that unlock the doors through which you to step. One of the guys I'm praying for at the moment uh, is a guy called Ricky. And um, I was at uni with Ricky. A real encouragement to you students that you, what you do now might bear fruit in the next few months and years. But it also might bear fruit in the years to come. I was at uni with Dave. Second best option, Dave. He's not yet a Christian, but he might become one soon. But I, um, I went back to Sheffield where I was at uni uh, in September. It was our 20-year anniversary of starting uni. And um, 
And about kind of uh, about midnight in, in a bar, uh, my mates invite me over. I go, Noxy, Noxy, we want to t- tell you something. I'm like, go on. They said, we've been having a chat. I said, go on. They said, uh, we've been chatting about who's doing the best in life. And I'm like, okay, I'm already laughing. They go, we reckon it's you. And I burst out laughing. And I said, boys, that's really funny, isn't it? Because um, I don't earn anywhere near as much as you. I don't, uh, I don't have anywhere near the kind of bigger house or status that you have. And, and while we're at university, you were all getting up to stuff that you thought, and I didn't get up to, and you thought, you thought I was really boring. And they go, yeah, yeah, well, well you thought you'd say that. So then I said, well, the thing is, <laughs> I'm an evangelist. I said, the thing is, do you not think there's a correlation between that and me living my life for God? They were like, yeah, yeah, we thought you'd say that too. <laughs> and, um, but just off the back of that, this guy, Ricky, gets in touch and he says, he says, Phil, can we talk a bit more about that? So I said, yeah. So now every week at 6.30 on a Friday morning, me and Ricky have a Zoom. And it's basically discipleship. We're, we're reading uh, John Mark Homer book together. His first question was, can you tell me the impact God has on your life? He started reading his Bible. He has a quiet time every morning. Isn't that amazing? There's just an openness at the moment. So my encouragement to you in your relationships is keep going. Keep going. Keep praying. Recognize the power of prayer, the master key that you have in your hand. And finally, recognize that this prayer alongside the power of the good news is a partnership between you and God in the lives of those around you. Paul's masterclass in evangelism with Lydia is beautiful. She, he meets in verse 14 Lydia. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Just listen to that again. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. There are two agents there. We cannot do anything unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. It's not by power nor by might, but it's by his spirit. There's something in the transformation of communities and lives that has to be divinely instigated. We cannot do it without him. But also it's Paul's message. We get to partner with that. We get to play a part, as we looked at yesterday with the Everglow video. We get a part to play. With Ricky, it was his instigation. God is at work in his life. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing, and we get the opportunity to join in. Where is God at work in the lives of those around you? Where is God at work in Loughborough? Pray, listen, commit to your place. And partner with him in that. One of the uh, last weddings I went to um, in uh, real life, I did a couple of online weddings. They weren't quite the same. There was one that I preached at. The um, the, the top half was wearing a three-piece suit. The bottom half was shorts and trainers. It's beautiful. The magic wasn't quite there when the bride walked in from the kitchen. It wasn't quite the same. But the wedding I went to before that uh, was a friend of mine from university. Again, 20 years on. These relationships really matter. And um, this guy was uh, marrying the the daughter of quite a well-known rock star. Um, And um, uh, a genuine TV personality did the address at the wedding. And uh, as I said, I live on a council estate, which was the poshest wedding I'd ever been to. I was completely out of place. And even worse... It was on a Friday, apparently it's cheaper, and, um, and my wife wasn't able to be with me, so I didn't know anybody else there. 
than if you've been in that situation. And, and I, I'm, I'm good at the extrovert things, but I was completely out of place. And so uh, sit at the back of the service and then get to the reception and the re- reception is outrageously posh. Like there's this guy in a red suit, the canapes looked so good, I, I, I didn't want to touch them. And, um, and then there's bells rung and we go through and there's these incredibly beautiful long trestle tables with more cutlery at each placemat than I've got in my drawers at home. The, everyone's name had incredible calligraphy, so ornate that you could barely read it. And, and I did that thing when you get invited to go and sit down and, and there's kind of place names. And I, I went through to kind of to find where I'm sitting. And so I do that thing and you walk up and down and you can't stare at the calligraphy. And I'm like, I can't see my name here. And, and I really, really, I'm really struggling. And so I do a couple of laps and I'm like, I, I don't think I'm here. And then I look at the bride and groom and I'm like, I'm at the right wedding. And then I think, what would be the least awkward thing to do? I, I think, you know, do I go up to a, a bridesmaid or the best man and go, excuse me, mate, where am I? Do you know who I am? Or I think, actually, do you know what the least awkward thing is just to go home? And so I kind of, I walked back through this beautiful Oxfordshire village. And if you could see me that day in my suit, I was kind of like, I did this, I, did, I was literally pacing. I was like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. So I walked up and down like a couple of times. And in the end, got to the car, texted my wife and said, fancy a date night, <laughs> you know, uh, putting the postcode in. And then I remembered um, that, that my mate had texted me to ask me for dietary requirements. And I thought he wouldn't have done that just for the canapes. So I'm like, maybe I've got a place. So I just resolved within myself, I'm going to have one last look. So I get back to the reception and I do one last little look. And I go around the first table, I'm not there. Go around a second table, and then my name has never looked more beautiful. I was like, ah! I wanted to like run along the aisles, you know what I mean? Go and give some high fives and stuff. I had a seat at the table, but not only that, I think this is why I missed it the first time. I'd been placed with the family. And my encouragement to you today is that you have a place at the table. You have a seat, and it's with the family, because the family business of Open Heaven Church is changing the lives of those around you. The family business of your church is bringing life into darkness, hope to the hopeless, life to the dying. The family business of Open Heaven Church is stepping through the doors of all that God has for you. And there are no passengers There are no people who have to walk away because there's no place for them. I know you embody this really well. We've just prayed for everybody and it took like five hours. (laughs) But some of you might today might be thinking, "I, I don't know where my place is. You have a place. Commit to it. Commit to its story. Throw yourself in. And pray like it all depends on God. that we might see the kingdom of God come and his will be done in your place today. Let's pray, shall we? Just invite you to picture in your head the, the images of this weekend. The doors. the rusty combination lock, 
with many hands having to do the work. The two master keys in the palm of your hand. Holy Spirit, in the stillness, we invite you to speak to us. I don't think Sunday mornings and weekends away are necessarily the space to make really significant long-term decisions, but I think for some of us that thing of place is really important. And I think the Spirit is encouraging some of us today to have a further conversation this week, this month, with him about saying, I'm in for the days ahead. I feel the the niggle in my heart to want to be transient and move around and look for the next thing, but I'm going to choose to stay and put roots down relationally. Again, don't make that decision now, but make the decision to think about that and to talk to God about that in the days ahead. whether there are some others who, despite that, have rarely been in churches that are so much all play, but maybe there are some of us today who feel it on the edges, who feel like being up and down on the table at our wedding, looking for a place. And I, yeah, urge you with all that I am you have a place at the table and maybe your response maybe even today for you today you need to grab a member of the leadership team and say I'd like to be more involved will you help me find a way my seat is in this family because you do have a seat at the table and it is with the family So, 
Father, I thank you for this extraordinary church for the joy it's been to be with them today and yesterday. I pray in the years ahead, you might do beautiful and wonderful things through them. That this prophetic word of open doors would come to fruition. And that this church family would look back on this season and see the journey through those doors. Would you protect them? Would you guard their hearts individually and would you guard their relationships corporately? And would your kingdom come and will be done in them and through them, on earth, in Loughborough, as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name. And may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown. Thank you.